Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the Big Recon on Sports Podcast. I am your host, I'm the Big Recon. And this week's show, as promised last week, we're going to dive into the World Series a little bit, which Game 1 was last night and Game 2 is going on as we speak. As I record to you on Wednesday, October 24th, the Dodgers and Red Sox well into Game 2 by now. And we're going to talk about something else in the news, kind of under the radar, because the NBA season just started. And we're going to start there. One of the biggest earmarks of debate for the NBA, besides, of course, the who's the greatest of all time, LeBron or Michael, is the controversial, in my opinion, one-and-done rule. Now, for anybody who doesn't know what the one-and-done rule is, this, the NBA, in their collective bargaining several years ago, passed a rule where no one, the players cannot be eligible for the draft until they are out of high school for a full year. So these players wanting to show off their talents and their skills against higher competition would go to college and play for one season and then enter the NBA draft. Derrick Rose is a prime example of that. At Memphis for one year with John Calipari, then moving on. Anthony Davis, Carl Anthony Towns, and so on. Players who borderline maybe could have gone to the NBA right after high school, but because of the collective bargaining agreement, had to go to college. So the NBA is currently thinking of changing that rule. And we've seen some great players in the past go directly from high school right to the NBA. The ones that are most notable in my mind, Moses Malone, Kevin Garnett, Kobe Bryant, and of course, LeBron James. Now, for all the great stories, there have been some busts as well. Now, the biggest bust, in my opinion, for the high school directly to the NBA crowd, is Kwame Brown, who of course was drafted number one uh, by the Wizards when Michael Jordan was in charge of the team. So over the past several years, players with these NBA aspirations had to spend the year in college. Now, the NBA believe it or not, is the one behind this, which is shocking to me because you would think the NCAA would be behind this so they could make some more money. When David Stern got behind this rule, it was to see these high schoolers against higher level competition. Where I understand the mindset behind it. What I don't understand is why are you taking the ability to make this decision out of the hands of 18-year-old in most cases, young men. I didn't think about it really thoroughly until I started reading about what's going on with the uh, with the collective bargaining, how they're talking about it now, and how they want to get it into the next agreement. But I thought, first off, because I'm a big proponent of the NCAA in general, being a college football and college basketball and even college baseball fan, was this to help the NCAA? Well, the NCAA makes billions of dollars to begin with. So was this to help the players? Was this to help the NBA? I don't really know outside of being able to evaluate these players at a higher competition level, what thought process went into this. But I have put some more thought into it. And let me say this. I understand the NBA does not have a minor league system 
I mean, it used to be called the D League. Now it's the G League uh, with Gatorade getting in with the sponsorship. There have It's not a minor league system per se. Not like Major League Baseball where you can be drafted uh, right out of high school and then go and play instructional league, rookie ball, Arizona Fall League, A, double, low A, high A, double A, triple A, and then finally make your major league debut years down the road when you've developed more. NBA doesn't have that. Back in the day, going from high school directly to the pros was not commonplace. Now there's a lot of players who play year-round, AAU, travel, tournaments. Heck, some probably even go international that we haven't heard about. But they're going right, they want to go right from high school to the NBA. The G League has now said they will start paying players who don't want to go to college and don't and can't go right into the NBA. They'll start playing them to play in the G League for a year and then obviously enter the draft. I look at it this way. This rule needs to be changed. There's a rookie wage scale, so they're not going to make as much money as people think. There's a hard salary cap in the NBA, so they can't break the bank on rookies to begin with. But depending on where you're drafted, you're compensated accordingly. So if they do this and they change it, they're talking the first players eligible for the draft coming out of high school would be in 2022. Now, I don't know if I did the math right. But I know the person I'm about to reference and my son are about the same age. But there is a certain second generation player who is blowing up social media and whose father is pretty famous. Yes, I'm speaking of LeBron James Jr. If I did the math right, I may not have. 2022 would be the year he came out to be eligible in the draft. If not, it wouldn't be 2023. This rule needs to change. Adam Silver needs to step in and say to the powers that be in the union, needs to tell them, listen, we need to fix this. These kids need to be allowed to have the choice to come out and play or the choice to go to college. You won't have these players who play one and done really anymore because there's no point to that. What you will have in the in the NCAA is you will have players who want to be student athletes first and you will have players who know they need to work on their game. Let's see the kids play in the NBA. Not everybody's going to be LeBron or Kobe or KG or Moses Malone. It's not going to happen. But it's time to let these kids make their own choice. Change the rule. There are too many people who we haven't heard of who go to a summer league after high school and get hurt and they're done. And they've lost their shot at the brass ring because they can't talk to an agent. They can't talk to a player scout who will say, hey, you're going to go number 25 to Milwaukee if you... Keep yourself healthy over the summer. No, these guys have college scholarships that they really don't know the value of because they know they're only going to play one year. 
Very few are going to go back and finish school after that. You don't hear about that very often. So this rule needs to be changed. If Adam Silver ever heard this episode, I would urge him to please change the rule. Let these kids make their own decisions. But monitor it. Hook them up with agents. Send them to camps. Give them the opportunity that if they go to one of these camps, they can say, okay, we know you want to come in next year. You're not going to be drafted. You can now go to school. And they don't lose eligibility by talking to the league or to an agent. Don't let them sign endorsement contracts until they've been drafted. Make that part of the collective bargaining agreement. There's no reason not to. You're not holding off their money. But what you're saying is, we have your best interests at heart. Let's see how good you are. Let's see what our talent scouts say. And if they say, not yet, let them go to college. If they say, you're ready to play, let them play. So as I mentioned at the top of the show, the Boston Red Sox and Los Angeles Dodgers are well in a game two of the 2018 World Series. It's the first time that these two franchises have played each other in a World Series since some guy named George Herman Ruth was the starting pitcher for Boston in one of the World Series games. 1916, when the Dodgers were in Brooklyn. This is the first time the Los Angeles Dodgers have played the Boston Red Sox in the World Series in baseball history. Both teams had tough roads to get to the World Series. Of course, the Dodgers had to win a play-in game, basically, a one-game playoff to win the National League West. They had a tough series in the division series against Atlanta that went four games. They may have won it in four, but it was very hard fought. And, of course, the seven-game winner-take-all NLCS against Milwaukee. Getting a Game 7 win in Milwaukee, not an easy thing to do. The Red Sox, of course, won 108 games. Same as the 86 Mets. So the Red Sox win 108 games. They pull the wild card game winner, the New York Yankees. So we got the rivalry in the first round of the playoffs. They also get the defending champs in the uh, ALCS. And I'll say this about the Red Sox. Because of my want for the Indians to win the World Series, whether it be my belief in pitching above all or my love for Cleveland, I paid more attention to the Boston-Houston series than I did the Los Angeles-Milwaukee series. And I will say this. The borderline dismantling that the Boston Red Sox put on the Houston Astros was very impressive. This is a well-rounded baseball team. Last night, we got the pitching matchup we all wanted, which was Boston's Chris Sale going against L.A.'s Clayton Kershaw. Really didn't match up to what we were looking for. Both guys had high pitch counts early, especially Sale was at 54 pitches into the third inning. Uh, Kershaw just didn't look like Kershaw. Uh, And the little bit I did watch last night, Sale looked sharper, but the Dodgers were putting better at-bats on him. Kershaw, not that he didn't have it, but he wasn't Kershaw. So the Red Sox win game one. Uh, They score eight runs. The big one's coming on an Eduardo Nunez three-run pinch hit home run 
late in the game off of Alex Wood. For those who are Met fans listening, Alex Wood is the guy Cespedes hit that ball into the second deck off of in 2015. Boston gets it done with their bullpen. Of course, Kimbrell at the back end. Red Sox win game one. Game two is Ryu and David Price. Let's see if David Price can build off a great start in game five of the LCS against Houston, which won the pennant. Ryu has been a very consistent pitcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers in all the years he's been there. I made my prediction several days ago. And it went like this. For every slugger the Red Sox have, the Dodgers are the one team in the National League that I believe could match up. They can swing with anybody. The problem is, I don't believe the Dodgers have the pitching depth to get the job done. The Red Sox have better starters. Even though Walker Bueller has been phenomenal, Kershaw has been nominal at best. Chris Sale is, I think, a more postseason accomplished pitcher. And they basically cancel each other out. So now Walker Bueller and David Price cancel each other out. Well, the Red Sox bring back Nathan Eovaldi and Rick Porcello. This is a great matchup in this series because Kenley Jansen also and Craig Kimbrell will cancel each other out as well. I believe this series is going to go seven games. The Dodgers will not win game seven at Fenway. It's just not going to happen. The two things I think could change that are, one, if Yasiel Puig hits, he's a dynamic, game-changing player. Mookie Betts, for as good as he was during this season, has not been what he was during the season. He's hitting sub-300 in the postseason. He doesn't have a home run. He only has four RBIs, though he did steal a base in Game 1, made a big difference, got the Red Sox going quick. But if Puig and Turner can out-hit Betts and Martinez, then the Dodgers can make some noise and maybe could steal a, a game in Fenway or even get two out of three at home. But I think in the end, with the pitching, the bullpens, and the back end of the bullpens, along with the benches, this is the Red Sox series to lose. And you're going to see, just like 04, 07, and 2013, the Red Sox will win their fourth world championship since the curse of the Bambino was broken. Boston will party again. And the Red Sox are going to get it done. I think they just fit better at each position than the Dodgers do. Uh, the Dodgers have a lot of their power on the bench in games one and two because of the lefties. And you're probably going to see Price and Sale twice. So there's that. Now, when I originally sat down and wrote the uh, text of the episode, I stopped after the World Series. But then I started reading things online that annoyed me to no end. Now, as everyone in Sportsland knows, last Saturday night, Saturday night Ohio State got embarrassed at Purdue 49-20. to 20. And then Mr. SEC started running his mouth. Paul Feinbaum, who has always been critical of anybody not in that conference, began saying how Urban Meyer 
picks up and runs when it gets the tough when it gets tough at a spot. Oh, he did it at Florida. No, he left Florida because of health issues that his wife made him pay attention to. This has been a tough year for Urban Meyer. But I will say this. ESPN needs to let get Feinbaum off the bully pulpit when it comes to one of the best coaches in sport today. Because let me tell you a piece of truth that Feinbaum doesn't want to hear. Cutting and running when it got tough is exactly what Nick Saban did with the Miami Dolphins. And he rode his private jet into Tuscaloosa and has since made his schedule the easiest in college football every year. I don't get how when one team loses, the media goes crazy and buries them. But if the team that they are backing loses, oh, well, they're still the best team. They just didn't get it done. Look, I'll be straight. Ohio State got embarrassed Saturday night. They got outplayed in every phase of the game. Dwayne Haskins still had a great night. He was accurate with the football. He threw for a lot of yards. He threw a couple of touchdowns. Didn't turn the ball over. The Ohio State defense needs to be fixed. But it's when the talking heads start running their mouths just to hear themselves talk that annoys me. Didn't mean to get angry there. But it's something that has to be checked. I understand everybody has an opinion. I understand there's bias included, including mine. But don't run your mouth to be heard. Have substance to it. Don't say things you know nothing about. Because uh, anonymous sources have said. Stick to the facts. Ohio State got embarrassed Saturday night. But the bottom line is this. If they went out, which is beating Nebraska next week, is they're on a bye. Winning at East Lansing, at Maryland, home against Team Up North, and winning a Big Ten championship. They have four better wins than anything any team from the SEC will have. Plain and simple. God's honest truth. So that will conclude episode 10 of the Big Recon on Sports podcast. I know when you look at the podcast list, this is actually number 11. I don't count the uh, the baseball postseason preview show and my episode count because, one, I was dead wrong, and two, it was a special episode. My weekly ones are what I'm counting here. So this is episode 10. Uh, thank you to everyone who has listened to the first 10, and I hope to be doing this for a very, very long time after. As always, we can be found on social media. Big Recon on Sports on Facebook, at Big Recon on Sports 1 on Twitter. We upload to Google Play, which we are also on Google Podcasts. So if you don't have Play Music, but you do have Google Podcasts as an app, you can find us on there and on SoundCloud. I want to thank everybody for listening. Hope everyone has a great week. We'll come at you again later this week into next with our next episode. Have a good, have a good one, everybody.